0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Kate Woda. I'm delighted to share a presentation from the 2019 Immuno-Oncology 360 Conference, also known as IO360, on the topic of insights from deal trends, betting on tumor immunology. This session is led by Dr. Jeffrey Bachman, Executive Vice President and Oncology Practice Head for Cello Health Bioconsulting, where he discusses deal-making and investments in the IO space to see what can be learned about the expanding and shifting landscape of biopharma and investor interest by examining who is placing what kind of bets on which targets and modalities, at what stage, and with what terms. The next IO360 program will take place February 26 through 28, 2020, at the Crown Plaza Times Square Hotel in New York City. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: All right, so. Without any planning, since the three of us did not convene in advance, um, I think I was set up well to kind of pull some of the threads together between what Simone was talking about and what John was talking about, because this idea of emerging and new targets is obviously a fascinating one and does have direct bearing on commercial strategic issues, because at the end of the day, It's not just the newness of a target, uh, it is its relevance. Uh, And as John uh, had said, we are seeing and probably will see more of what are essentially commercial kills, like the Gilead kite kill of the BCMA cart program, uh, where although it may be a novel entity, it may be an entity to a novel target, uh, at the end of the day, uh, if the signal isn't there, then it may not be what we call uh, sufficient for proof of relevance, right? Not just that the mechanism works, but it's going to be clinically meaningful. And so this idea of thinking about the relevance of targets, of new targets, and how they all play together is something we spend day in, day out, either working with our pre-commercial biotechs or with the large farmer who are trying to strategize about what's next. So um, again, for those of you who have known me before, it is no longer Jeff at Defined Health. It is now Cello Health Bioconsulting. Previously Defined Health, a very long name, uh, but also appropriate because immuno-oncology was previously tumor oncology, immunology. So uh, this idea of how things evolve and change with time uh, is going to be a little bit of the theme that I'll be talking to. Of course, we're going to start with congratulations to, uh, to GSK on their recent deal uh, with uh, Merck KGA uh, and the Tesoro deal before that, and, of course, the Genentech deal with Zencore kind of setting us up in just a few days leading up to this conference for these kind of major deal-making uh, around novel ideas, uh, particularly the idea of bispecific or bi molecules, cytokines, et cetera. I think we all know kind of how exciting I.O. is. At the end of the day, a little bit of reality, of course, is that with tremendous sales that are accruing in the space, much of that being driven by checkpoints, of course, it's still a small percentage of the overall oncology sales and business, but it has a tremendously huge growth rate compared to non I.O. And I know this is somewhat artificial, but, you know, it, we, we, uh, make our analysts and consultants spend a lot of time, you know, making this artificial distinction between I.O. and non-I.O. because it's important to make certain points and to uh, be able to kind of guide people and and map about where the space is going. So this is from from Cowen, of course, showing like how tremendous the the growth is, predominantly driven by the the two big behemoths in the space with Katruda, of course, now recently kind of surpassing Optivo. But I think what's important, and this ties into some of what Simone was talking about and some of what John showed from the CRI data, this is our own analysis looking at both ADIS and Clarivate. And basically, you can see just the diversity of different types of approaches. We've bucketed them in a slightly different way in terms of innate and adaptive and metabolism and other aspects. So, um, you know, you can bucket them mechanistically by pathway, by cell type, et cetera. But what's most key is that you can see, you know, right now across the whole clinical pipeline that majority is non-IO. But that 35% that is IO is what's driving a lot of the excitement, whether those are brand new targets or follow-on targets. They may ultimately get a commercial kill. And, of course, this is the CRI data. And you can see how, as also Simone mentioned, how much activity there is, particularly in growth around... Uh, cell therapies, um, and even still, you know, cancer vaccines represent a huge amount of the pipeline. We mostly hear of the excitement around neoantigens and mRNA-based therapies, but a lot of more conventional or newer versions of conventional type tumor-specific antigen vaccines continue to slog through the, uh, the pipeline. Now, of course, again, We are faced with an issue where, and I think John, when you said that kind of some of this, whether it's frenzy or bubble was driven by the media, where the excitement around the activity of checkpoints is undeniable. The benefit to selected cancer settings and selected patients is undeniable, but it is not universal, right? And so whether you look at the mapping of tumor mutational burden in the New England Journal publication here uh, against tumor types uh, or you do the hard slog, which we did looking at a bunch of uh, data to basically kind of rank uh, overall survival across different tumor types and lines of therapy and combo and monotherapy. Uh, You can basically see how we have the hotter tumors. But even in those cases, patients aren't getting cured by and large. Uh, And of course, we have the colder tumors or the sweet spot that we like to tell many of our clients to work in, which is kind of that lukewarm space there uh, in the middle. Um, Again, CRI data, just to emphasize again that this is an issue, this competition in clinical trials, not just about enrollment, but ultimately the commercial competition, so the idea of doing a commercial kill because you're data may not be sufficiently relevant or you may have a follow-on agent uh, and may be very difficult to differentiate it, whether it has some slight biological differentiation that may or may not be true or not, uh, like PD, PD1 and PDL1, uh, or whether it's just simply another true me too, uh, those are going to a lot of those are marching through the clinic, but they're going to be increasingly difficult to differentiate and price at the end of the day, although, Uh, They do offer the opportunity strategically for many players who are kind of the have-nots, don't have a checkpoint potentially to get in in combination with their own agents and maybe control the price and the clinical development destiny of what ultimately will be some type of presumably checkpoint combination relative to novel product X or MOAX. So this is a slight variation of one of the slides that uh, Simone showed, um, but we've done things a little differently when this heat mapping, because when we work with our clients, large or small, it really comes down to thinking about, well, where are the opportunities and the white spaces? And one has to recognize that a lot of the competition is not just around mechanism or target, it's also around modality. Uh, and so you, know, you can see the tremendous activity uh, that's reflected uh, uh, between different types of targets uh, and modalities uh, across different tumor types. And you can see, as has been said, there's still a huge amount of cancer vaccine activity, a lot of cell therapy activity, bispecifics obviously are are very, very active. Um, All these slides will be available on the website or you can give me your card and I can send them to you. But So when thinking carefully about your clinical development path or your clinical relevance or your commercial potential. even that you have to think of early on with a very early stage asset because you have to be able to tell at least a potentially credible story. You can't have tunnel vision and say, oh, I'm only going to look at things that are directly in kind, small molecule against this target, antibody against this target. You need to think about, well, what about a bispecific against that target and something else or a cell therapy or something else? So that inter and intra class target, and modality competition is a critical thing that has to be thought about going forward. And again, this commingles that issues of scientific, clinical, and ultimately market or strategic. And similarly, when you look at just the the targets, not surprisingly, all the different types of modalities we're talking about do tend to cluster around the more well-validated targets. That doesn't mean they're necessarily me-tos if it's a, a novel cell therapy or an ADC uh, next-gen ADC or even a cancer vaccine against HER2 or CD19, uh, but it does mean the bar has been set pretty high, and so whether it's the presumptive success from the news release uh, without much data that Macrogenics had on their HER2 program or others, it really is thinking about what is that ultimate clinical differentiation that you're going to have. Well. This all then manifests, of course, in terms of what deal making, acquisitions, licensing, uh, startups, uh, some of which has been touched on both by Simone and, and John. At the end of the day, from our analytics, so this goes back to you know kind of the early days of the, the dawn started in 2011, but you know give it a couple years of run up, and you start looking at deal making, uh, and you look at kind of top deals that are done by upfronts. So top 10 upfronts or top 10 total bioworld dollars, as, as we continue to call them. Uh, and you can see in 2015 how a vast majority of things were, were I.O. And similarly, when you look at, whoops, when you look at uh, 2016, again, vast majority, meaning 90%, both upfront and total, dollar value are I.O. Now... In 2017, we thought, oh, all right, here's the analysis. Maybe it's a bit of slowing, or some people might call it fatigue. You saw fewer amount of upfront being I.O., so we were thinking, all right, a little maturing. Uh, Some people might call it fatigue. There's more backloading, so still the majority of the total deals were I.O., um, but less in the upfront, so maybe people were saying, all right, we're not gonna give those 50 million, 100 million to a preclinical asset. We're gonna back off a bit on, on that. Uh, and of course, lo and behold, when you look at 2018, it didn't quite pan out like that. Back to the same you know, majority of, of IO, both in the upfront and total dollar value deal. So IO, as our previous speakers have said, continues to dominate um, now. Is that a bubble, a frenzy? Is there some maturing in the nature of the deals? Again, this doesn't go into the structure, so that may well be true, but in terms of just dollars being plopped down, uh, I.O. is still at the forefront. And in fact, even when some of the total dollars have gone down, the amount uh, that's going into I.O. is phenomenal. Um, in fact, I just wanna focus on this slide um, so I'm cognizant of the time uh you now have in 2018 kind of of the pie uh, of those that are analyzable you know i o surpassing non-io in terms of number deals Uh, but more incredibly the complete dwarfing by value of the io deals versus the non-io deals and these are just licensing deals so this doesn't include m a which complicates the story when you look at kind of overall Financings, just in oncology, um, you can see nicely. So, those of you who may have non IO assets, um, but overall, as oncology, you know, it, it's, it's going up uh, in, in a number of different mech, both IPO, obviously, we've had uh, a pretty good run uh, uh, window, um, and certainly in, in venture financings and total is, is up a little bit. Um, What's particularly interesting, though, and I think this is similar to something that Simone showed, and we are using BCIQ for for this uh, analysis, you can see uh, the percentage in 2017 of these Series A uh, divided into uh, IO and non-IO, and they were pretty darn close, Uh, but in 2018, you know, look at that. That's tremendous, two-thirds of these Series A. Uh, RIO, deal-making, with a tremendous increase in the total value uh, over that uh, time period. So you can have fun doing some of these analytics. A different way of looking at what is emerging is by looking at kind of who's funding or the number of assets, whether in a biotech. And again, you can see antibodies by specific cell therapies kind of leading the pack uh, on the left end here. Uh, that's number of assets, or in monies raised. Again, you can see antibodies, cell gene therapies, etc. There is some nuance here that you know is important to point out as a caveat because these are classified by the system, and so there's maybe some overlap between some of these categories, like gene therapy, uh, that may be more like oncolytic virus or more cell therapy related. So. But nevertheless, you can see where most of the interest is and remains in kind of basic biologics, some type of antibody or non-antibody scaffold, monovalent, bifunctional, bispecific, multivalent, multifunctional, the future of engineering, and the same for adoptive cell therapies. More and more towards heavy engineering to improve specificity in the therapeutic index, deal with tox issues, and give more control and finesse to those agents. And just another way of grouping it, depending on how you look at it, again, kind of cell therapy or or vaccines, particularly mRNA vaccines, are are a lot at the front of the gate here. Uh, And this this separates out, actually, by IO and non-IO. But, again, you can see how much is kind of IO-driven with, again, what I've been talking about. Most of the antibodies, most of the cell therapies, naturally, would be IO. So... When we came off, so this goes to that question about the bubble. When we came off of this past CIDC, um, which was a little more, somber's too heavy a word, but it was a little less uh, enthusiastic, say, than the one previous where there had been the initial data release, say, on the Merck KGA uh, bispecific or on NKTR uh, 214. Uh, so coming off this, some observers, you know, were a little less than sanguine Uh, this issue of the bubble so here's your graphic of course i don't think it's a bubble also that's going to pop as john said but maybe a little bit of deflation and reorientation Um, and a lot of that's driven not only by um, some of the perhaps numbers in key programs not quite maturing as one would have hoped, but also all the stumbles we have to recognize, which is learning on the job, whether it's epiketastat uh, or various costumes, et cetera. Um, these may not have always been the right molecules or used it the right way, uh, and not necessarily that any of these things that stumbled, like the IDEO talk yesterday uh, that Chuck uh, gave from uh, Newlink. Uh, it may not be the target it may be the molecules or how it was studied so although right now you know it may feel like you know it's the bake-off and a lot of things are have gone wrong or stumbled despite all these tremendous uh, excesses there have been a number of stumbles and sometimes you get the feel this is the equivalent of the deflation of the balloon but this is your flan or your thing falling apart but you know We are moving and learning and hopefully learning from negative studies, uh, and hopefully everyone uh, is learning more about doing the appropriate translational work. I chaired a panel at biotech showcase, Perry, JP Morgan, in January, and the talk amongst most of the panelists who were the CEOs, CMOs, uh, and some uh, VC was essentially, we've got to get better at doing the hard, raising the bar on our preclinical experiments um, not doing the single models, making sure we're doing resistance models, uh, making sure that we're doing the right translational research, so that not that we will avoid these stumbles because the risk will remain high. Damn, if you could get to seventy percent, that, that would be incredible. I mean, the five to ten percent is all that makes it through in oncology specifically, uh, from start to finish. So if you could double that, it would be great. Um, but I think thinking more about those combinations early on and making those learnings hopefully will somewhat decrease some of these stumbles that that we have seen. This is from the new review that Jerome Gallon uh, had put out, variation of the cancer immunity cycle from Chen and Melman. And you know, I'm not—it's very hard to see it. It does look like an eye chart, but. I think it's very useful because it really does crystallize the idea of the inflamed and the desert and link it up with all the different aspects in terms of MHC and antigen presentation and the different pathways of innate and adaptive, and then all the types of targets one can be going after, whether those are small or large molecules, et cetera. And it serves as a good kind of um, coherent way to see all the activity, all the potential that is here, but again... Bearing in mind that a novel target in and of itself doesn't mean that's going to be a relevant target. Even if the data is good, it's got to be good enough in a particular setting at the end of the day. So this is where we all want to get to, right? We want to be able to have what are essentially like functional cures for, for patients and more patients, longer, deeper, durable remissions, and a greater percentage of patients across more and different cancer types uh, and, and hopefully moving that earlier and earlier, as many studies with checkpoints are, into adjuvant, neoadjuvant. So with that, I would like to thank you and thank in particular the analyst who did a lot of heavy lifting on the data and the various uh, key team members within oncology. I'll take any questions if you have them now or otherwise. And if not, you have uh, three extra minutes for coffee break. So thank you. Oh, one. Do you have a question, Jeremy? Yeah. One quick question, Jeff. Great presentation. What's the impact of pricing? <laughs> what it happens, if pricing goes down to 50,000 per year, not 100,000. Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, I'm not a pricing expert. That's my full disclosure. But um, I will say I will answer the question this way for our pre-commercial biotechs. Uh, The question is now front and center, even if they have an early clinical or maybe even a preclinical asset, thinking about the value proposition includes not only where it's going to fit into a presumptive future treatment algorithm, but how they have to think about pricing so they aren't Necessarily out of the gate, those that are more mature, thinking, "Oh, I'm going to charge you know $200,000 for mine, knowing full well it's going to be part of a doublet, if not a triplet, with another 150 or 200k." So being very cognizant of how that works out, and of course, you know that's been part of the story around why buy specifics, particularly like dual targeting, you know, a dual checkpoint or checkpoint costum might be valuable as kind of that cost story, but. But frankly, you know, I I don't think that's how those shinks should be looked at. I mean, it really does have to be a more holistic look at value. And everybody is, of course, considering this now in the U.S. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to impact us directly tomorrow or two years. But certainly in the the runway of, say, five years or so, it is going to be very preeminent. So everyone needs (sighs) to be thinking carefully. How meaningful are their data? And think carefully about your pricing even in oncology, no longer sacrosanct. So, all right, thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed the discussion. The 2020 IO360 program will take place February 26th through 28th at the Crown Plaza Times Square Hotel in New York City. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.